What's up, Rotoviz listeners? It's Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Rotoviz Radio and one of the co-hosts of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just wanted to drop by and say thank you, as always, for listening into another Rotoviz Radio production. As a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast or by simply adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. That'll get you access to all of the content and tools on the Rotoviz website, the best tools and content in the business for the best listeners in the business as always we do appreciate you listening to each and every show and if you do have 5 10 15 seconds to spare please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app it is much appreciated with all that said thank you once again for tuning in i hope you have a great day now let's get back to the show Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the September 3rd episode. And as always, we are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I'm your host, Mike Randall. Please follow me on Twitter at Randall Rand. And today, folks, we bring in the king. We bring in the man here at Rotoviz himself, Sean Siegel, to talk about seasonal leagues. As these leagues with your family and friends and last minute leagues are popping up, there is no better person to have on than Mr. Siegel himself here at Rotoviz. Just an outstanding site. As I've said, it's a pleasure to host this mailbag. We have Mr. Zero RB himself, Sean Siegel, with us today. Sean, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure to have you on your own mailbag. How you doing? Good, good. It's always a blast to come on this particular show. You did a fantastic job that we get to answer some questions, get uh, into some of the, the reader feedback here. And Mike, we appreciate you doing the show so much. It's been great. Well, listen, it's a pleasure to have you, sir, on the mailbag. Rotoviz is an incredible site. And it's not just because I host the mailbag. So many people contact me and talk about the incredible tools that all of the crew here at Rotoviz work on, the in-depth articles. We've added so many new great writers, the best fantasy football tools in the business. So just outline some of the great things and the people we have here at Rotoviz as the machine just continues to churn out great content, thoughtful debates and help for those seasonal redraft, dynasty, best ball, every type of fantasy football league you could imagine. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun the last couple of months. We've got uh, quite a few new writers, so many that I, I can't mention them all. And they've been doing a great job. Every time we get a new injection of talent, uh, the site just takes it to the next level. So we appreciate the work that they have been doing. One of the guys who kind of joined us a little bit before this last wave is Matt Spencer. He's been doing a ton of great stuff with tools and he's got a an article up on the site right now but has a tool in it where you can go through it helps you beat your home league by predicting where the guys are going to go based on the default ranks on the site that you're using so you can get in there play with that i highly recommend it i mean it's perfect for this week it's the one thing you need to figure out kind of where those guys are going to go you know you may be using adp from uh, a third-party site that you know it, it really reflects where the industry is at and you might actually reach a little bit on some guys who in your home league will be available later you can kind of build this ultra team that's unbeatable in that kind of league because some of those uh, formats people won't be quite as up on some of the risers and so you can get them in addition to some of the other safe early guys so i checked that out uh, dave cabin i mean he, he's one of 
Our group here, obviously, with Curtis Patrick, Blair Andrews, uh, just doing a fantastic job. Anthony Shook behind the scenes on the tools. These guys continue to build out great stuff, and Dave recently added the Advanced Stats Explorer. Uh, we've got you know just a, a big new package of stats that we'll have this year in addition to everything that we've previously had. And so we'll have things like routes for receivers. We'll have all that tackle information. Uh, for the running backs, people like to know, you know who broke tackles last week, so you can check that stuff out. Dave and the gang doing fantastic work there. And one of the things, too, Mike, that I like is that we really have a wide variety of things that we're covering and that can give listeners, readers an advantage. The Debbie CFB element to it is just something I wanted to mention here. Travis May, Stefan Lacombe, Matt Wispy doing a great job getting you ready for your Debbie leagues. And I mean, that's an element that continues to be more and more important in terms of fantasy. So you can get a big edge there. Those guys are really good. I mean, that's just scratching the surface of the things that we've been doing in the last several months, but we're having a lot of fun. You know, you mentioned Matt Spencer and his article up on the site. He has several. Should you handcuff your running backs, backfield stacks and their effects on win rates? This has sort of gone out on Twitter, on social media. I remember six, seven years ago, Sean, I was saying you have to handcuff, but only handcuff if it's a one-to-one handcuff. He actually talked in that article how handcuffing now with the way football has changed is not an EV play. It can raise your floor to a certain extent, but it's really not something that you want to do. Are you in support of drafting in deep leagues other teams' handcuffs in order to maybe bolster an opportunity if the other team's running back would go down? Or do you avoid handcuffing altogether? I'm curious. Well, I have a a few guys on the zero RB list this year who you could technically say are handcuffs of some other backs. The thing that I'm looking at here is elite talent, right? And so we want the talented guys late, (laughs) the less expensive, the better. If you think that the starter goes down, that guy has the talent to do, you know, 90%, 80% of what the starter did. I mean, last year we saw Mike Davis do it and he's probably not the talent level of a Chuba Hubbard, right? And so we look at Hubbard. I think that he's one of the guys there where his price works for the Christian McCaffrey owner. So if you're at the 12, 13 turn, I mean, I would take him there. It's not something that's going to break your team to do that. Most other circumstances, you know, if you've got that guy early, I mean, he's the guy you want. The, the backup isn't going to do it for you. It's going to fall into a committee. And we've even seen with Henderson, <laughs> obviously, there with the Rams. I mean, it looked like Cam Akers was going to get a pretty big workload. He goes down. Henderson, you know, takes off for a while. I like Henderson. He's not someone that I'm shying away from. We took him in our Rotoviz, uh, Team Rotoviz draft the other night. Uh, me, Dave, Blair, Curtis... And yet, I mean, even that one, I mean, he's obviously not going to be the main guy. We took him after the Michelle Newt. So I mean, we, we knew that we still kind of like the situation. But you have to understand that these other guys are not going to have the same role. You definitely can't be burning picks in like round 9, 10, 11 if you have that starter. Ben Gretsch is back. And he has joined forces with you on the Stealing Bananas podcast. Folks, if you are not listening to this, this may be the best podcast that is out there for fantasy football. I find myself, Sean, I'm going on runs. And I'll go on like a 5K, 10K run. I'm listening to Stealing Bananas. I'm stopping to hit rewind because I want to process the deep thoughts that you guys are saying about some of these topics. I mean, it is robust. 
great debates and philosophies. It's amazing to have Ben back here at Rotoviz, and that pod has really taken off. Well, Ben is the best, right? And so it, it's no surprise that the pod has been successful with him on it. We've had a lot of fun. Uh, we're, we're good friends, and, and it's been very enjoyable to record and to go into some of those topics. That was kind of the thing that we wanted to do. You know, create some evergreen content, also talk about players and, and things that are relevant for the 2021 season. Uh, we've gotten a lot of great feedback. We appreciate all of the people who have been saying nice things. We also have gotten uh, kind of some other notes along those lines where people are saying that they are having to pause to think about things. And even that at times, because we kind yes. of do the three episodes that like there's too much, they can't keep up with it. And so, I mean, I think that that's great, right? I mean, it's, it's better to be providing too much good content than too little. And so, you know, we'll, we'll probably err in that direction. The end season will be a little bit different, but at the same time, I mean, it's the end season, so it'll be a lot of fun. I think one of the, the, the major topics that I've listened to that I really enjoyed with you and Ben is about strategies for redraft and seasonal leagues, specifically with pass catching running backs. And I focus on that because, Sean, right now we're getting a lot of the casual fantasy football people who are coming in now trying to process as much information as they can in a short period of time. So I think that sort of lends itself to a very narrow focus that, listen, uh, it's PPR, I'm going to get pass catching running backs. Without a thought of where they're going and whether that's the best value at that time, talk about Austin Eckler, because I thought you and Ben brought up some very good points about him. He's sort of a polarizing player in that he doesn't get the goal line touches. He should catch a lot of passes, but is where he go- is where he going in, in seasonal leagues? Is that really a place that you find yourself gravitating towards with Austin Eckler? It's so tricky, right? Because he's one of my favorite players. I had a ton of him through the years. He was on the zero RB list a couple times. Obviously, he panned out in a massive, massive way with a 300-point season. You know, we're looking for these pass-catching running backs, guys who, to an extent, have been pigeonholed as pass catchers, and people don't think they can do the rest of it because we do see it play out. Uh, You know, you have the big Danny Woodhead seasons. You have the big Darren Sproul seasons. People forget that, you know, Tarek Cohen was an RB1 a couple seasons ago. And so these guys can do it. But as you mentioned, price is just so important. I mean, if you're going to take him in the top five to eight picks, which is where he's going in a lot of these formats, then you kind of boxed yourself into a scenario where, I mean, mostly from there you have downside. And the, the tricky part is that when you're drafting in round one after Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara are gone, you can say, well, you're, I mean, you're looking at downside for everybody, right? But you do have some elite wide receivers that you can go after in that range. The thing that I look at, and I I put an article on the site kind of talking about this, actually a couple of Eckler articles, which may be too many, but the second one really is about how you can get his production at a discount. Unfortunately, those guys are now dealing with some injuries. So the running back position has been eviscerated before or, or decimated earlier than it usually is. And we're already dealing with, you know, how do we make this work? And so in some ways, Eckler has gotten a little bit more interesting simply because so many other players are already out. But with Eckler, we look at the expected points and you have sort of a six expected points as a rusher. You have the nine to 10 as a receiver. So you're in that 15 to 16 range, which isn't bad at all. And he's so electric as a receiver that he could outperform there, you know, get you to 18, 19 points. The problem is if you're using a five to eight pick, you really want someone who has a, an expected points in the 18, 19 range if they outproduce and really to outproduce by enough, I mean, you're going to need 
enough running touches that you can outperform as a rusher, not just as a receiver. And so his path to one of these, I mean, Pat Corrine has the legendary series article at NBC right now. I mean, it's fantastic. I think it helps people kind of visualize or understand what we're going for. We're not going for just the solid season with that first round pick in part because you can't compete with the runners who do create that kind of season if you don't have it. And then number two, you still have a ton of exposure to injury. So if you have that exposure to injury excellent and you point. don't have the upside, then, I mean, you've got a couple of different things working against you. That's such an excellent point. Leads to my second question. You are, of course, Mr. Zero RB, legendary work that has gone on in the industry for years. And you have stayed true to this over many years. People have come in arguments. And one of my favorite things is when they try to argue with you about this. It's like going back to showing my philosophy colleges and, and uh, philosophy courses in college where people will go out and debate. It's, it's just fantastic. But where is the line for you? You mentioned Christian McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara. Where is the line in the first round where you would say, you know, I'm considering going with a wide receiver here? Because certainly for the casual fan, they're coming in and hearing, got to get an RB early, have to get an RB early, hero RB, modified zero RB, whatever the name is that people want to use. I assume if you're going very early, you have the 101, you're going Christian McCaffrey. But after that, where do you start saying, you know, Devontae Adams, somebody like that, maybe it's a Travis Kelsey and an FFPC, they're looking more attractive than a running back. It's almost right from the beginning, right? So we have McCaffrey and then it gets tricky. I think that the situation for Alvin Kamara has firmed up a lot in the last couple of weeks. So I think, I mean, he's the 102. I don't have any problem pulling the trigger on him there. I actually have gotten, and this is you know something that everybody deals with, but I, I don't have a lot of first picks, a lot of second picks. And you, know, you look back at the end of the season and you're like, oh, well, that worked out great. I mean, last year, those top two guys got hurt and it was the next people who won. So you know, it's too early to complain. We don't know how the season is going to pan out. But if you're in tight end premium, then Travis Kelsey you know, is the 103. If you're in, one of the things about two is we have to look at just what the format is because the formats can be so wildly differing and casual players frequently have formats that actually are much more favorable for running backs. And so I think, you know, if I come in and try and push them off of all of those guys and then they're looking at their format later and they're like, I don't know what Sean was really talking about. I mean, I can only play a couple of wide receivers. The running backs are going to go early. I could have gotten those same receivers later. Then, you know, that's where it kind of comes into this question of we have to make sure that we're at least specifying that you know it is a, a ppr format it is a format where you can play at least three but preferably four wide receivers if you don't have that then i think you can continue to go with running backs the tricky part is just that you know there are a lot of question marks about those next guys you know derrick henry doesn't catch the ball and ezekiel elliott could be declining saquon barkley and jonathan taylor are really the guys that you want but with barkley you have just so many different small problems and you look at each individual one you can say well i'm okay with that but then once you stack them you're like are you okay with all of them are you okay with the fact that you may not be healthy that they have a terrible offensive line that daniel jones may not pass to him as much as eli manning did and so once you get through all of them you're like okay well is there somebody else and so we look at taylor and you have a little bit of that same situation where i mean carson wentz between not being vaccinated and not being good and possibly being hurt. It's like, you know, could we get a different quarterback? And then you're like, oh, they're back at quarterbacks for people with no experience. They're like, well, hopefully Carson Wentz is able to play. So that's the situation here is that we're dealing with a lot of question marks for these round one running backs. And once you go through that, then you're almost back in this position. You're like, can I just have Tyreek Hill? I feel like 
very confident that he is good. He's going to run by the defense. Patrick Mahomes is going to throw it up. He's going to score these touchdowns. How do you block out preseason noise? So I, I think it's important that we have, we're going to get into a little bit about some of the players who really pop, some of the rookies who were impressive in the preseason. I always say teams declare their thoughts and their beliefs by their actions as opposed to words. Look at Bill Belichick talking about Cam Newton, how he was off to a great start and he ended up getting cut. So it's a Bayesian process. We continue to take information and make new conclusions. But what are your sort of thoughts on preseason and what do you notice or pay attention to as opposed to ignore? I think the thing that you're looking for, kind of as you mentioned, is how are the players being used and are we getting feedback from a variety of sources suggesting that they're very, very good. So we had Jamie Eisenberg on an episode of Stealing Bananas. He talked about the fact that, you know, Trey Sermon in these combined practices, you know, he's getting buzzed from like the opposing team saying that he just looks amazing. Well, you know, you're not going to vault him up three or four rounds, but if you need to move him a couple of spots to get him, then, you know, you probably do that. If you have a head coach saying, oh, this guy was awesome, and yet he's not running with the first team, the beat writers are not talking about him, uh, he doesn't have a good background. And one of the things, too, I mean, you mentioned that so much of what matters is we're starting with a bunch of information about these guys. And then the new information is just going to move it a little bit. And so the key thing is just not to completely change your impression about people. Uh, but but it does matter, right? I mean, the, the person that I had to move in my rankings a lot in the last couple of days was Najee Harris. And a couple of different things are going on there. One is that we're finding out that, yes, I mean, his workload is going to be absolutely insane. That made sense, but it's possible for things that make sense to not fully develop. For example, the, the situation with Antonio Gibson. I was always very excited about Gibson, but also a little bit skeptical because McKissick was so good. I mean, are you going to go away from the situation that worked? Does it really make sense for a young guy who in some ways is still trying to learn how to be a running back to have all of this extra responsibility when as a team, you don't need it to work that way. And so now we, we have a very clear, or, or we think we have it in, in a clearer vision in terms of like, he's not going to be the three down guy. And you combine those with some of the other things that are happening where other targets are are getting knocked out. And so earlier in the offseason where, I mean, I, I've had a lot of Debbie shares of Harris, and so I've watched him play a ton. And I know that until the very end there at Alabama, there was huge concern from everybody who had who had shares. And definitely there was plenty of skepticism for people who didn't, that he does not play to as a, his athletic level. One of the other things that we know are these guys who stay for the four years, who are much older when they come out I and mean, Blair's got this amazing research about how much of a difference it makes, you know, what your rookie age is and, and Harris is older. I mean, he's finally broke out when he's playing behind this Alabama offensive line that is blowing holes the, you know, that you could drive three, four, five, you know, 15 trucks through. I mean, it's not like one truck through. And so you're like, okay, well, this is a guy who is 230 pounds and has elite speed. And once you essentially had no defenders on the field, yeah, he could go out and create highlights. Could he do that when he was a when he was a freshman, when he was a sophomore, and he's playing against you know decent competition? I mean, he struggled, and so you're thinking. I mean, there are questions, legitimate questions about the talent. We're now to a position where it almost makes no difference. I mean, he could average three yards a carry. He could be Trent Richardson. It's going to be difficult for him to pay off in the early second round, in part because his role is so good, and in part because the other ways you could play it have been taken away. 
I didn't like it when you could play it with a Travis Etienne, when you could play it with a DeAndre Swift, when you could play it, you know, earlier, you know, with a Cam Akers, where you could even play it with a J.K. Dobbins coming back around. You no longer have those options. So if you do want to have some exposure to a running back who fits the profile that we need early on, you're so limited. And so now I have to say, look, I mean, he's big, he's athletic. The Steelers love him. He has looked good in the preseason. He's going to get an avalanche of touches. You can't just keep saying, oh, well, you know, a couple of years ago, he was the third best running back at Alabama. That that ceases to be the, the most important thing there. And so, you know, I had to move him. And I think that that's what we have to do is we have to continue to look at the landscape and how it's developing and make sense of where we are now. Completely agree. I made an argument to a, a cousin last night who's drafting that if you have to go running back in the first round and that's your thing after the top guys, you can make a very strong argument for Najee Harris because it just seems like everything is pointing to opportunity, certainly has talent. I had the same concerns that you had. Then I wanted to see it play out. The owners talked about it in Pittsburgh, that they were going to get back to the run. But then when I saw him on the field with Ben Roethlisberger, who really, Sean, is so limited now at the age of 39, he could turn into like Philip Rivers 2.0 with the dump-offs to Harris I agree. I think there's a lot of outs for him to hold that value. And I'm not, wasn't crazy about him coming out of college, but here we are. And of course you mentioned Trent Richardson. You never know when the right opportunity can produce what I believe was what the RB three season, something crazy like that. Well, people forget that Richardson even being bad was a good fantasy <laughs> player. Right. And right. I mean, for, for that, for that small window of time, I mean, you know, I, I always relate the story where, you know, I was in this draft room and I started Calvin Johnson, uh, Jimmy Graham, and one of the other guys started Trent Richardson, Maurice Jones-Drew, and he wanted to bet me thousands of dollars, at like <laughs> two to one odds that his team was going to, to beat mine. And it's just like, you know, it, it's a reminder. It, this isn't even a situation where it's like, oh, I was right. It's just a reminder about humility in general. We do not know what the future is going to bring. So you need to have a structural approach that will allow you to win as much as possible, even when you're wrong. This next question came to mind because Eric Moody came on last week from Pro Football Network and gave the most detailed answer to what salt does on a margarita. So we've eliminated and retired that question. But I opened up my refrigerator and I had a choice of juices the other day. So I wanted to ask, what's the best morning juice, orange, cranberry or grapefruit? Well, I'm going to have to go off of the three allowed answers here and just say, I mean, it's it's very clearly pineapple, right? Good and <laughs> And preferably not pineapple by itself. I mean, pineapple orange, pineapple strawberry, anything pineapple in another juice is going to be the thing that really hits you and, and, and makes that morning feel fresher, bright. I mean, pineapple juice is the best. I am embarrassed I did not include that. I will change that for next week. Rotoviz tools, amazing. Use them daily. Use them to get the show sheet ready. Identifying breakout players, another one of the great things you can do here at Rotoviz. What did the Rotoviz tools indicate for us early and before we got into preseason on players that you think could break out and have actually maybe shown something now that indicates, yeah, this could really happen? Ben was talking with you on Stealing Bananas. Jared Patterson in Washington, Peyton Barber now gone. We end up having Jared Patterson who's sitting in the catbird seat as the RB3 with McKissick, of course, who's a passing downs guy, and Gibson. How about someone else here that the Rotoviz tools identified that you think, you know, from what I'm seeing, we could be onto something here. Yeah, I mean, we're almost too high on Rondell Moore, but I, I go back to our Rotoviz rookie guide. It's fantastic. Uh, 
even when we're wrong, which we're wrong a lot. I mean, that's just the way that rookie guides are going to be. We give you the kind of information that allows you to pursue research and understand players, understand templates, understand profiles, and move in the direction where your rookie drafts are very dynamic, very efficient. You get a lot of sleepers, but you also get a lot of players who are going to hold value, increase value. You're going to have that dynasty team that is continuing to get better and better every season. One of the guys that Blair and I, especially, and obviously Curtis and Dave also high on, but Blair and I had Rondell Moore ranked like a number six, which I mean, even yesterday I'm drafting in a super flex and you know he went at like the 204, which that's a good reminder that if you had rookie picks in the 2021 draft, you're probably in good shape in terms of the depth of your team. But more someone who we don't have as much information on because he didn't play a lot in the last couple of seasons, but when he did play, he was extraordinary. I mean, this is a guy who had one of the greatest all-time freshman seasons at Purdue, which, you know, I would think is a little bit trickier than maybe doing it somewhere else. Although, you know, you're going to have not quite the same competition for those touches that you would have at an Alabama or Ohio State. But this guy comes out and has this extraordinary season. We had mentioned Matt Spencer earlier on the show. He did some work with our breakout age metric uh doing some enhancements there that were really cool he comes back on his list of guys from like you know the last 10 years i think maybe all the guys this century and rondell moore is like the third earliest breakout age and i mean you look at that season what he's able to do and then you look at the testing that he had in the offseason now some of these times are probably a little fast with the hand timing that we had without the official combine this year but when you're looking at more perhaps being like a borderline 4-2 guy someone with a 40 inch vertical even at the smaller size i mean you're not thinking of him okay well you know he can't play I mean, this guy has not just nfl athleticism he's got athleticism beyond that to the level where you know you're talking a little bit of like a Tyreek Hill kind of athlete now they're probably different receivers that are going to be used in a different way but one of the things that's nice about Moore is that he appears to have actually a pretty good floor for a rookie and that he's going to have a ton of manufactured touches in an offense where that's kind of a staple of what they do so you know you think back to some guys who have kind of played in that vein recently someone like a Debo Samuel and I mean the guys in San Francisco now have a lot of competition. I don't know that the same thing is true in Arizona. I mean, beyond DeAndre Hopkins, they've got some names, but the truth of the matter is it's pretty wide open. And so Moore could have a lot more volume there than people think. All it took was really him getting on the field in that preseason game and people seeing, you know, how, uh, you know, you get back to kind of the video game parallels where you're like, yeah, oh yeah, that guy you can do things with that nobody else can match. And suddenly you're thinking, okay, he's going to have a fun season. But all of the information about him has pointed that way for a long, long time. The Christian Kirk has been someone that we've all been talking about for many years. He may not fire Sean. If that's the case, Rondell Moore could absolutely have a lot more targets than people project with his athleticism in that offense. Watch out. How much do you pay attention to end of year schedule? So Warren Sharp, of course, puts out his prospectus and he has all that great information. And he talks about strength of schedule based on Vegas win totals projected coming into this year and the team that by far and away has the most favorable schedule in terms of difficulty is San Francisco and he references their end of year schedule which is weeks 14 to 17 now since we have the 18th week in terms of of fantasy playoffs at Cincinnati home Atlanta at Tennessee home Houston obviously it's it's one piece of the puzzle but do you look at that and if you're deciding between a couple players could that be something you take into consideration or do you just say listen there's too many variables between now and the end of the year 
I think they have to do both, right? If you are on some guys who are close and close in price and, you know, one of the twos may be going to make it back or maybe both of them are going to come back, you're not sure who's going to fall to you in the next round. You know, you take the guy with the earlier, with the, with the easier schedule at the end because that's when you win it. I mean, it, it was very clear last season that the reason that Derrick Henry was interesting was that he had a chance to go off because of schedule. He's not going to be able to match up you know, one for one with McCaffrey or Kamara for the full season. But if you can match up on the last, you know, two, three games, then that's what matters, right? And so we do take that into consideration. We have a great tool on the site that allows you to do that. The strength of schedule streamer, one of the tools that Dave has built. Uh, you know, you're not going to always be right, but if you can use that to your advantage and skew things in your favor, then, I mean, it can really play out. We Recommended on OT, we recommended on the site that people pick up David Montgomery for his end of season schedule last year. And there was a little bit of pushback because through a year and a half, he had been so bad. I mean, people forget now because he did have the fast finish, but I mean, he was starting to get cut in leagues because even with, I mean, even with the volume, which was an easy start, I mean, he was so bad that he's getting cut. (laughs) And so we put that out there. We're like, you know, you should pick him up. His numbers are going to jump. I mean, it's impossible that they don't. And you probably don't want to hold him, but pick him up, play him, win, and then trade him again. And so, you know, it doesn't work perfectly every time, but there are some situations in which it works in a huge way. And, and those things can really change around your dynasty teams. Obviously, in seasonal leagues, it allows you to win. So we look at those things. And uh, one of the things that's tricky is not only that we know that defenses can have a hard time maintaining their level because they need their guys to stay healthy. I mean, it's almost like an offensive line where you need that continuity. It's almost like having a quarterback where, you know, if the quarterback, like any of these guys go down, it has some of the same effects that a quarterback will have on an offense to where if you don't have your starting team, you can go from being very good to not that good in a hurry. And so if you have those injuries, and we know the NFL is going to have injuries, then what is the team going to be like at the end? So one of the other things that you look at is, you know, what are the team totals going to be for some of those games at the end? One of the games that I'm targeting at the end of the season and kind of, you know, it needs to fit in with some of the things that you want to do. But if you're looking at, say, you know, drafting a Travis Kelsey or a Tyreek Hill, and then you like some of these Bengals guys, the fact that they play each other in week 17 creates almost this DFS element where, you know, if that's a 49-45 game, then there are a lot of points going for those players that you need to have, you know, win the half a million dollars or just win your league title. I mean, either way, that's very important to you. Uh, that's an excellent point about looking at one of those games that could really be a shootout. I don't see how that's going to be a defensive struggle. Excellent point, Sean. Do you have a favorite video game growing up that you're still attached to? Well, I didn't play quite as much as a lot of other people, but I mean, video games obviously were a lot of fun and i mean contra is the one that jumps out I and mean, that's not that's not a, a hot take that's not a controversial choice and that's going to be the case for so many of us but you get a game that's a lot of fun in and of itself you got the konami codes so you can go through you can actually play enough players to make it through the yes, levels yeah. you got all of these different gun options i mean what's better than contra yeah that's very true shooting a gun when you're a kid on a video game oftentimes <laughs> there's nothing better tell me about a player that you like this year that you've identified, and this is a question that came from a listener that I've used every week now, and make the argument against yourself, which I think is what we do. It's part of the process. We think about the pros and the cons, how it could work, how it could possibly go wrong. So take one of those players that you find yourself gravitating towards and say, listen, 
if I'm completely wrong about this, here's the scenario in which that would occur. And as you mentioned, I mean, this is a key part of the process, right? Because you're going to have guys that you like so much that you just continue to chase them up and chase them up and chase them up. And so the number one, you've drafted them in a range where the upside is priced in. Number two, your shares of them are so high that an injury really kills you. And so being able to maintain price discipline is in part just having some discipline, but in part is understanding the negative case. And so, you know, I look at LaVisca Chenault, somebody who I was all in on last season. He did have that little bit of a fast finish. So if you still had him and you were still willing to start him, he did do well for you in your fantasy playoffs. He's a great dynasty player to have. I mean, he's going to come out being a value sort of overall from a career perspective. When we're looking at 2021 and even again yesterday, I mean, the Jags released a lot of their receivers. So, you know, we're starting to look at it as, okay, it probably more is these three guys. But it's the three guys. And it's with a rookie quarterback. We'd like to think that he can come out and do, you know, Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert types of things. We'd like to think he could come out and be Peyton Manning, be Andrew Luck, be the kind of guy who, even if the team is still bad, and for most of those teams, their teams actually as rookies were still bad, but they changed around the franchise. It was very clear that they were going to be good. They had the guts to actually make some mistakes and attack and keep throwing in the fourth quarter of games that they were losing. You know, not one of these teams where the quarterback is so bad that you go into a shell just to try to protect their confidence, kind of get on to the next game. And we think that he's going to be someone who goes out there and gets after it. But I mean, you're not talking about playing these receivers with an established star QB and then there's the question of if it really is very spread, then is there enough value for anybody? And do you want the most expensive of the guys at that point? Because DJ Chark is good, right? I mean, there was all this sort of made up controversy about, okay, Urban Meyer says he was terrible and he says, you know, he was weak and he's got to get stronger. Well, I mean, he did those things. Meyer says, you know, he's made the progress. And now, I mean, he's in a position where you really have to consider him in all of your drafts because you get this injury discount where, you know, he's expected to be back for week one, even if it's not week one. You're drafting him in a spot where you can play him in week two. I mean, he, he's a very good player, almost certainly. You have Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones is someone I've been off for his entire career. He's always been a number two or a number three. He's going to have those big games. If you have him in your lineup, that's great. So it's kind of a situation here where even though I wouldn't draft Marvin Jones and I'm all set to lose to all the people who do and just kind of be okay with it, you also have to take that and look at <laughs> LaVisca and be like, okay, well, I, I could be wrong in that Marvin Jones wins leagues for people, but then simultaneously that would also mean that I'm probably wrong on Chanel and I'm going to lose also in that way. And, you know, so you have to be okay with that, and but you do have to understand it. If you're drafting Chanel not understanding it, then you're probably, you know, really setting yourself up for some heartache and some, some bad draft decisions. I think the upside is simply that, you know, those two vertical receivers cancel each other out a little bit. Chenault's going to be the quick passing guy underneath. Now with ETN gone, I mean, Chenault's going to soak up a ton of those targets, right? And so there's still lots of very positive things, but that I would say is the negative case. You know, you do want to be aware that it's not a guarantee that LaVisca Chenault is going to be Terrell Owens in 2021. I have a question here from Paz in Milwaukee. He says, I would love to hear Sean's thoughts on whether the hate of non-pass catching RBs has gone too far. Don't we always want safety early in the draft? Don't we want to avoid bonking or busting with an early pick? So why not take a Derrick Henry or Nick Chubb? Keep yourself afloat. They're certainly not going to finish as the RB1 in PPR formats, but they also won't bust and kill your season. Your response, Mr. Siegel. 
Yeah, I so we hinted at that kind of earlier in the show. This idea that they're they're not going to compete with whoever does go off this season, and you still have that injury exposure. And so those kind of two things together make them very difficult choices. Now, the issue with the two of them, and the reason why I wouldn't say I'm completely off on them, and, and we do some Rotoviz OT listener leagues that are pretty fun where some of the pass catching or the non-pass catching running backs really fall. And so Colum and I have actually been in a position to draft some of these guys. I, you know, there's a spot in drafts where they make a lot of sense. It's just not usually quite where they go. But with Henry and Chubb, the talent level is there. And I always tell people that, you know, we've evolved to a situation in fantasy where people are so focused on volume that they forget that talent is kind of the anchor and volume flows off of that. And the more talented players and people say, well, you know, how do you define talent? All we're really looking at is the stats, which tell you basically volume. We know efficiency isn't that sticky. It's not that sticky, but it's sticky in a way still where, I mean, there are just so many ways you can tell who's good and who's not. And if you've got the guys who are not just good, but there are stars, the volume is going to flow off of that. The individual seasons, we look at fantasy points over expectation. We know it's not going to be very consistent year to year, but we do know that the guys like Carlos Hyde are going to hit toward the bottom pretty consistently. So your exposure there is to the downside. People like Henry and Chubb are going to hit toward the upside. It's not going to be every season. It's not going to be every game. It's not going to be every you know three or four game section. But you have exposure to the people outperforming, which is what you want. And so, you know, I don't mind people taking these running backs, especially if you think that they, you know, like with a Derrick Henry, if there's something about him, the fact that he's been pretty healthy, that makes us feel more comfortable with him than some of these guys who were already kind of dinged up. And so, you know, that would be another point in his favor, even with the extreme workload. I mean, these guys who are handling extreme workloads, there's a signal there in terms of their ability to do it. If they don't have the injuries in the background, then you're going to feel a little bit better. So I can see it going either way. I mean, Chubb is someone who falls into round two and our, some of our OT leagues falls into round three. I think that when you're in round three and you're looking at someone like a Chubb, then yeah, it's pretty exciting. And we've had some listeners point out, and I think that the argument is very clear for Chubb is somebody who in the first half of the 2019 season before Hunt was able to play with the team, then he had like 5.5 expected receiving points per game you could see him taking a little bit of a next step. And so this idea of can he catch passes if Kareem Hunt is gone, wouldn't you prefer just to have Chubb instead of making that same bet with Hunt, who's probably not as talented and stubbed his toe a little bit. I mean, it was, it was fluky in terms of the efficiency, but when he had the chance last year to show people he could be this number one when Chubb was out, didn't quite do it. You know, why don't we just bet on Chubb? Again, if you get the, the price right, I would say to do that, it's just kind of a tricky deal there where in a lot of formats, and PPR formats, it just doesn't really work out. The price isn't there. I have a question here from HOMAPOR213 at gmail.com. Love the job you've been doing with the mailbag. Thank you, sir. Had a redraft question that pertains to the team I co-manage with another listener. They have the six-pick Sean in a 12-team half PPR redraft league. He really wants to go running back. He wants Barkley. His co-manager wants Aaron Jones. Now, they both like Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, but they're wary of the running back they'd have to take in the second. I think I know where you're going to go, but I'm curious, who are you taking in the sixth overall spot and why in that situation? Yeah, well, I I would just, again, say that I agree 100% on the job Mike is doing with the mailback. It's been fantastic. (laughs) On the sixth pick, I mean, Mike, what are we looking at here? I mean, we've got Aaron Jones is so good. 
I mean, he's the same thing we were just talking about. I mean, you're looking at a star, but we look at his situation. And now this year, I mean, AJ Dillon, he looks like he could be the next Derrick Henry. I mean, you say that. Sean, he could get the goal line touches. He could absolutely. And, and the fourth quarter touches as well. Yes. And I mean, if there are 10 backs in the NFL who could end up with the same profile in terms of yards after contact, and they're going to do it in different ways because they have different styles. They have different uh, athletic advantages on the defense, but I mean, Dylan would be one of those guys. And so, you know, the, the Packers have been pretty good at not wearing Jones out when they had an inferior kind of talent with him in Jamal Williams. And and that's not to say that's, that's not meant to be a big shot at Jamal Williams. I mean, he's going to be a, big part of what the lions do he's a good player but he's not aj Dillon. almost certainly we don't i mean we're still in a small sample with the guys to where we're, there's a little bit of a chance that that's wrong but in all likelihood i mean this is a, a better backup now and they protected jones when williams was there now the fact is he also scored so it's kind of that same question that we have in the previous one is do you want to just build a solid foundation and believe that you're going to beat people the rest of the way one of the problems with that is just most drafters don't have a good structure after that first round pick. And so if you also have a first round pick that doesn't quite make sense, you know, it, you could win, but you're kind of putting yourself in a situation where, you know, maybe it's one out of nine, one out of 10, you know, obviously a couple of owners are not even going to really try. And so it's probably not one out of 12, but I mean, you need to get it up to like one out of five, one out of four. And to do that, you've got to make some better structural choices in these point point five PPR leagues. You do have a little bit of a different route. I think it's still something where it would be tempting to take one of the wide receiver stars and come back with a running back. But you do have to kind of know. I mean, people you could take. We talked about Harris in a point five. you know, especially if it's a home league, maybe he's still there. You know, maybe someone like a Joe Mixon is still there. I'm not in on Mixon. But again, if we're kind of looking at where the volume is, for someone like an Aaron Jones, it's already kind of priced in that he would need to be in the, in the positive from fantasy points over expectation, whereas Mixon could be in the negative and they could end up with the same sort of total points. Now, you know, I would prefer to bet on the good players as opposed to the iffy players, but, you know, the, the wide receiver you're going to get in the first round. So I think that that's a, a tricky choice. We mentioned some of the red flags for Barkley. Where are you on this in point five? Because in point five, it is a more difficult question than in full PPR. If I was given a choice between Jones and Barkley, I would take Barkley and take the risk because I am very concerned about A.J. Dillon and I like him as a much later pick. But I am with you, Sean. I think Devontae Adams or Tyreek Hill is is the move. You're getting yourself an elite wide receiver. I think that in, in a lot of seasonal leagues, casual drafters make the mistake of just punting the third wide receiver. There is such a huge advantage of having a strong third wide receiver over your opponents. That is not a position you can just plug in. People think they can because they think, oh, I'll just hit one long bomb with Deshaun Jackson years ago. Well, there's a flip side. He may not do that. So I would go wide receiver in this situation every single time. But if given a choice between those two, I will take the overall talent and the projected volume with Saquon over Aaron Jones because of the A.J. Dillon presence. Yeah, I think that's a good way to go. Sean, you go on Fear Factor. I'm still trying to get a, a fantasy football like Fear Factor competition, which of course you would be on. What is the one thing, Sean, that you'd say, I can do all of those things, but I'm not doing this? Uh, the things that are scary and gross 
are more difficult than the things that just take a lot of like mental toughness. Now, I mean, mental toughness, it just kind of depends on how you look at it. You say, well, scary and gross are, are part of that. The, the the heights things would be difficult for me. Some of the eating things I think would be difficult. I can't eat like melted cheese, right? It just, it, uh, the gag reflex is just there, which is interesting because for, you know, like 90% of the population, that's like their favorite food. So there are some tricky love things. Cheese. People love cheese. Yeah, yeah people do. <laughs> it, it makes it, it makes it tricky. So, so I think I would get in, into trouble there. I would say, you know, for people who are interested in fear factor and, and like things like American Ninja Warrior, there is this show that I ran across on some of the Spanish television networks called Reto Cuatro Elementos. So kind of the, the four elements, challenge of the four elements or what have you. And it's kind of like the, the uh, has all of these physical challenges with these teams, which is kind of more fun than individuals. And then you have the people who lose have to go down to the Inframundo, the underworld in this cave and do these challenges that are super gross and intense and like, you know, how long it sounds great. Oh, it's like a great show. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Too. It's like got 60 episodes in both seasons. So, I mean, you, yeah. can, you can watch it every day for hours. <laughs> yeah. So I recommend that. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. And um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, I actually don't watch reality television. I have no problem. People, I loved American Ninja Warrior when I was trying to get through the, uh, the pandemic, which obviously we're in some ways not quite through, but I mean, that's, it's like a, a very pale, pale, pale imitation of, you know, Reto Quattro Elementos. So anybody who hasn't seen that, I don't know if it's currently showing on some of the Spanish language networks. You can definitely watch it on YouTube. And, uh, you know, if your fantasy team does poorly in week one, you need to kind of reset, just, you know, hunker down and, and, and watch some physical challenges with people being drowned, people having to, like, you know, navigate scorpions, eat raw food, um, while they're, see, I mean, one of the, the challenges, like they have this, so at the end, and I won't spoil how it goes, but you have like the, the mega challenge, which is like this 30 minute. It's like, and it, it's so cool too, because the, they have the amazing women in the show that it's the top man versus the top woman at the end. Again, it won't you know, completely give spoilers, but the women and, and the guys are really good. And yet the women hold up extremely well. I mean, they're just so impressive. It's this, so you have the four elements and throughout the show, each one of them, they have these really intense obstacle courses that you have to get through. Well, the final episode, the four courses are together. So it's like this half an hour race between the two. And like one of the things you have to do, they give you a little bit of chance to like catch your breath. Right. But one of the things that you got to stick your face into this big uh, pit of, of raw food and blood and whatnot. And just with your face, pull out the keys to go unlock these other uh, locks to get through the next part of the the obstacle course. You know, I don't speak Spanish, which is um, something that I, I like to think that I've worked on a little bit through the show. I think, you know, people speaking foreign languages is great. It may be something where a little bit like American television, where if you knew exactly what the commentators were saying, you would be less interested, but it's actually got that great element too, where you, you know, you can work on your Spanish. You don't have to worry about that part. You can kind of choose your own adventure, which is fun. And so anyway, I've spent way too much of our time on this, but it is a pretty fun show. Last year, Peter Obrzec came on and I asked him a movie with a suspenseful ending. He told me, get out. I stayed up till four in the morning that night watching it. I was riveted. I have a feeling, Sean, that I'm going to be watching this tonight to try to catch up on some of these episodes. And it sounds like it's right up my alley because it's challenging. It's gross at times, but you can't turn away. Uh, so I, I am all in. 
Folks, this is going to be funny. This is not on the show sheet, Sean, but I am in an FFPC draft right now. And as we were talking, the alert came on my phone. So I am going to ask the great Sean Siegel who I should pick and make the pick on the show here. It is FFPC, of course, so that's tight end premium. We are entering round six. So this is a six-round pick, Sean. I took Najee Harris in round one, and then I have gone four straight wide receivers, Justin Jefferson, Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, and T. Higgins. So my question for you, sir, wide receiver options here in round six, Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, our lovely LaVisca, Antonio Brown. Tight ends available, Logan Thomas, Noah Fan, Tyler Higby, and running backs, Miles Gaskin, Trey Sermon, Mostert, A.J. Dillon. Any of those names jump out to you? Let's do this pick right now. Well, uh, narrow it down for me. Who, who who do you like the best? Who do you need some exposure to here? Obviously, Sermon, a little bit interesting. You'd have that Harris-Sermon uh, group together. You do need a tight end. Colin and I have been taking a lot of Logan Thomas and Noah mm-hmm. Fant. We like those two guys, especially now that Irv Smith is out. If you pass yep. on them, you're taking a lot of risk going a little bit deeper. Chenault, someone who you'd like to think will come back, but you know, he came back to us in our team Rotoviz draft the other day at the 709. Wow. I was mind boggled. I mean, he goes toward the beginning of round seven. You can say, well, I mean, that's just you know six or seven picks. But it's those six or seven picks that make all the difference. Those teams in the middle just vacuum him up every time if he even gets that far. Uh, who are your top two or three? I was thinking either LaVisca or tight end Logan Thomas fans Higby. I, I'm leaning towards Logan Thomas. Your thoughts? Well, I, you know, you asked for a bold prediction at the very end. I'm going to go ahead okay. and give you Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to be a top 10 quarterback this season. Ooh. And he's got some competition, right? So basically, I, the only thing that I could see holding Fitzpatrick down would be the Washington's defense being so good that they don't really have to play in the fourth quarter. And you're thinking, okay, well, I mean, that's kind of a bold prediction in its own way to say Washington is going to be such a dominant team such a clear playoff team that they don't have to play in the fourth quarter. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, you look at what he's done for the last couple of years and kind of how he's trending to be kind of the next Kurt Warner. And you look at the weapons he's got around him, that team is going to take people apart and he's going to be perfect for people are going to think, Oh, well, what happened to the guy who throws all these interceptions? It's like, well, he's no longer playing with a team that's bad and playing from behind and being the guy who has the guts to go out there and move the ball. Right. I mean, there's no glory in being the guy who doesn't throw interceptions, but is the third stringer because he would never throw the ball and never move the team. Right now we have Fitzpatrick where he should be. So Logan Thomas, I mean, you're looking at a guy who it's anytime someone is in this situation and they've kind of broken out at the end of last season, you're going to pay a pretty big premium. This is a massive trap play to where if Logan Thomas goes back just to be in the guy that, you know, Bruce Arians thought he could turn into a quarterback. And you're like, well, I've. I don't have a tight end and I also don't have a six round pick. And so now I'm really playing from behind, but at the same time, I mean, what if he's Darren Waller? Can you afford to pass on that at this point? And that's it folks. Logan Thomas is the pick. I have fulfilled a life goal of doing a draft with Sean Siegel. And there it is. Logan Thomas. Thank you very much, Sean. This has been amazing. Last question. And then I will get you out of here. Just incredible stuff as always. You gave us the bold prediction. So you just did that. I want the later round rookie pick, obviously dynasty leagues, rookie drafts. You've done several of them. So many great articles on the site about it. I'm looking for a round three or later pick. So a rookie pick that maybe had gone in round three for some of the dynasty owners that you think can actually make an impact maybe second half of this year. 
Well, let's go right back to Washington and look at Deami Brown, a guy who is a vertical receiver coming off of a couple 1,000-yard campaigns. He's a vertical guy in terms of what he was able to do in terms of the yards per reception in college. He goes into this team. I think it's a good setup. I think that, I mean, Curtis Samuel and Brown don't have a ton of overlap in the first place in terms of what you would expect from them from a routes perspective, or at least (laughs) they won't unless... Uh, Washington with Rivera try to use him the way that they kind of uh, used him in Carolina a couple of years ago that was ineffective. But also Samuel's not had a good camp from a, a health perspective and all that kind of thing. Correct. And so, you know, you have McLaurin, the guy drawing the coverage. If defenses are really squatting on him, doing whatever they need to do to take him away, Ryan Fitzpatrick is the kind of guy who can throw him open, right? And, and is not going to be afraid to make those uh, vertical shots. Now, Fitzpatrick may have to throw the ball right as he gets you know, the snap in order to get it deep enough for Brown to run under it, but he's willing to do that. And so, you know, we're, we're going to get some plays here and, you know, is there going to be the volume? That's the question that I would have. Is he going to be someone that you can really use out of say, you know, a best ball? Is he someone who you can use in redraft in 2021 as opposed to 2022? But when we look at the way these rookie wide receivers have performed the last several years, it's getting, not only are the overall point totals starting to get there, but we also have this dynamic where it's a little bit more like the running backs have been for a while, where over the second half of the season, they're pretty usable. Now, if you've built your team properly, you're probably so loaded at receiver that he doesn't come in to play for you, but he's a, a pretty intriguing name there in terms of a third round pick in Dynasty. And it, the Dynasty drafts have gotten tighter now as you know as we go through training camp and can see who's actually a part of things or not. But Brown's still, you know, in that beginning of the third range. Excellent, excellent stuff. Love Deami Brown. Folks, Sean Siegel, Mr. Zero RB, the leader here at Rotoviz. So many great things going on at Rotoviz. He's got the main article up. He's been doing so much zero RB work. He has the zero RB draft strategy workshop that is up right now on the site. Talked about his response from the FFPC main event, some takeaways that he had. It will help you next week. You're doing your drafts. We're starting football next Thursday. Sean Siegel is the man to go to. Thank you so much, Sean, for a few minutes. Always an honor to have you on here. And I firmly expect to win this FFPC league now that I've picked Logan Thomas with you. It's been it's been so much fun. I appreciate it every time, Mike. I, I hope it, it works out that way as well. Have plenty of Logan Thomas. If you win, I'll win. The listeners will win. And we'll all celebrate together here in a couple months. Fantastic. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and at Randall Rant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.